Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The sport is just going to die if they don't break the designated hitter to the National League. We got fresh frozen <laughs> strawberry margaritas, and Terry's bringing us chips and salsa all night long. Nick's hips do not lie. Yeah, I got a MF wagon. Like, <laughs> let's be real. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Half Street High Heat. You can find them wherever your podcasts are downloaded or sold. With me, as always, is Ray Knight. Yeah, Johnny, I think this is going to be a great episode. I do. They're going to talk baseball, Johnny, and the baseball is the reason they talk and what they talk about. I think that's important to talk about baseball. And if you're a baseball podcast, you're going to end up talking lots of baseball. Well, that's awesome. Thank you very much, Johnny and Ray. Bob Carpenter with you here. And now- Hey, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Half Street High Heat. Thanks, as always, for joining us. We appreciate all of you listening. Um, please be sure to find us on Twitter and to follow the show account there, which is at Half Street High Heat for all the latest news and announcements and just uh, scintillating content. Uh, also, don't forget to check out the website, uh, www.halfstreethighheat.com. That is an ST for street, which is updated daily with outtakes from the podcast, uh, fantastic articles, and lots more. So do make sure you go there and see what you're missing. And don't forget to visit our new YouTube channel as well, The Rundown with Half Street High Heat, which only has a trailer there now, but there's going to be lots of great new content coming now that we have some actual Very baseball soon. about Ve- to start like, happening. Like, Almost, I can't hit the breaking news button yet, but very soon. Very soon. And there's my co-hosts. I haven't introduced them yet. I am joined as always, I forgot to say, by my indefatigable co-hosts, Nick and Ryan. How you guys doing? I am pumped. Uh, we had a great interview with uh, Matt earlier today, and now we get to uh, talk about some breaking news. So, you know, I'm rejuvenated. First a haircut, now some actual baseball news to talk about. Yeah. It's, it's a big week for me rejuvenated like hopefully josh bell's gonna be by being in a new city with a new team <laughs> Good I, yeah throw that out there anyway um so we talked two days ago it hasn't really been a whole week anything new and exciting to share before we get into the nitty-gritty i can't even it doesn't even feel like it's been two days so no i think we're ready ryan how you doing bud i haven't talked to you in a couple hours I know. I, I missed you. 
it's 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 been too we need to have um like one of the all right so it's a late valentine's day present um blame it on covid we're gonna get each other one of those uh nanny cams in the teddy bear and we'll just carry it around everywhere so that way we can keep track of each other oh that's creepy and sweet i think it's gorgeous (laughs) <laughs> Amanda, you can just go plant your seeds in your dirty, you know, backyard. Yeah. My office does smell like dirt right now because I have so many seeds started in here. So this is like where I record and work and it smells like dirt. But I couldn't be happier. It smells like dirt because spring is coming. My first seeds germinated today. That's pretty exciting. It's fenugreek, which is fantastic uh, in Indian food if you've ever you've cooked got... You know, it smells dirty and there's uh-huh. germs. I mean, yeah, but it doesn't. It doesn't smell dirty. It smells like dirt. There's a difference. Literally, dirt before we started a... recording the podcast, you said it smelled like dirt in your office. Which yes. one is it, Amanda? Dirt is a good smell. Which one? Dirty is, it? is gross. But you just dirt said it didn't smell. smell. No, I dirty didn't. I said it doesn't smell, smell dirt. dirty. It's different. No, it's different. Dis- anyway, disavow. Disavow. All right. Well, that's. Not great listening while we argue about the smell of dirt. But, Ryan, what is great listening is the Week in Review, which is actually the mid-Week in Review because we just talked two days ago. We may have talked two days ago, but there are weeks worth of stories in the Week in Review, as always. And they are ablaze. The Blue Jays announced that they will be playing their 2021 games at Dunedin, Florida, at was expected as Canada denied them to play in Toronto, which was also expected. Three women accused Mets hitting coordinator Ryan Ellis of sexual harassment, and they spoke to the team's HR department back in 2018. Ellis was quietly let go last month after Jared Porter was fired. This is the third Mets employee this offseason who has had such Uh, accusations against them. MLB needs to step in and address this league-wide. The Padres unreal, oh, excuse me, excuse me, before I get to the Padres, I miss the biggest news of the offseason, the biggest news in years. Tim Tebow retired, and Tim Tebow has officially failed at not one, but two sports. Congratulations, Tim Tebow. You're twice a failure. And now moving on to the Padres, the Padres unreal winter continues as they ink potential superstar to a $340 million contract that's over 14 freaking years. 143 games, got 14 years. Woo! The small market San Diego Padres now have an infield that costs $820 million. They also have over, sorry, excuse me, they also have two $300 million contracts. The Padres were the most aggressive team this offseason. They did this knowing damn well that they will not have fans in the stands this year as California has been one of the hardest hit states by COVID. They went out and they were aggressive and they made their team better knowing their revenue was going to be way down. This shows you that every single team can spend. It's just they choose not to because they cry poor. The Yankees signed Derek Dietrich, which is the biggest move the uh, the ALEs has seen, and retired MLB star Herb Washington has sued McDonald's for alleged racist policies and discrimination retaliatory policies against them. He was the company's largest black franchise owner. He owns 27 McDonald's, and he is fighting a big lawsuit against them. This has been your midweek review brought to you in part by your local neighborhood chilies. Make sure you stop on by or order curbside and make sure you get yourself the triple dipper, which is the best appetizer in the game. 
three appetizers for one amazing price. This has been your week in review. Yeah, that's a lot going on in 48 short hours since we last talked. Yeah, the thing with the Mets is just infuriating. I don't think we need to rehash that whole conversation because we've had it, you know, at length already. But the fact that these three women came forward with proven, credible, you know, accusations showing a pattern of his behavior and they didn't do anything about it until the Jerry Porter thing happened and they were like, oh, crap, we better let this guy go. They didn't make any announcement or do anything and say, hey, we found this guy guilty and, and he's gone. They just tried to do it quietly and hope nobody would notice. It's just nauseating. Yep. And the fact that this is not one, not two, but three times in the same offseason mm-hmm. just goes to show how systemic it is and not within just the Mets organization, but baseball as a whole. And Ryan hit the nail on the head that baseball needs to address it, not the Mets. Not right. Obviously, uh, letting Steve the teams Cohen. police themselves doesn't seem to be working. It's not working. And you just made a great point trying to get rid of it. Like, they made the right move in get, getting rid of him. So Three tiny, years tiny, later. Tiny, when- tiny bit of credit. But, like, the fact that condemn it, at least. Like, it's not like you fired a guy that had been in your organization proven, for, like, 15 years. That had proven uh, evidence of sexual harassment. Every, no one's going to blame you for firing him. Why do it quietly? Because they knew that it was going to look bad, that they really didn't care about this issue at all, which we all know. But and the, the only reason time, they did it is it's because... A new owner. It's, right. it's supposedly this new regime, but clearly it's systemic. And if it doesn't come from the root, which in this case is the top, being baseball, then it's just going to keep going on. And it's, yeah. again, it's not just the Mets. So it's not just it, the it's Mets, not going to be the last time we hear a story like this, unfortunately. But I'll tell you one thing that is a little bit heartening is that these guys are, I think the women who have suffered at the, the hands of these people who have had to put up with this kind of behavior can see now that we're in a moment where if they make it public, the teams are being shamed into letting these guys go. And there's a lot more support publicly for the women than there has been ever in the past. So if I can take one good thing out of it, it would be that. But this guy, I mean, these three, he's been there since, I think they said 2006, he's been with the Mets. Like how many other female employees of the Mets have put up with this? I'm sure it's dozens, dozens more who haven't wanted to come forward. And for a lot of reasons, some women just decide they never want to come forward. They don't want the publicity. They don't. And it's embarrassing for being on the other end of that behavior, even though you shouldn't be embarrassed, you didn't do anything wrong, but it is embarrassing and you don't want to, you know, some people just don't want to make it public. So I'm sure what that guy did was way beyond what we'll ever hear about. And I'm glad he's gone. But again, the Mets did it in this way where they were trying to not have to acknowledge publicly that A, it happened and B, they didn't care for three years. And if they could have kept getting away with it, they would have. They they did it because they knew that the the comeuppance was on its way with everything that had just happened with Jared Porter. And that's why they did it. So they don't get any credit from me for doing it. I think they did it just to try to head off bad publicity and they made themselves look even worse. If they had just come out and said, Hey, while looking into this Jared Porter stuff, we found this other guy had done something similar. Steve Cohen's a new sheriff in town. He wants all these people gone and now he's gone. They might've come off looking like, Hey, we did this for a good reason. Instead, they tried to do it without saying anything and hoping no one would notice. And so they made themselves look even worse.
Right, and I mean, just uh, goes to show why the Mets have been unable to uh, get over the hump for the past 20 years. Cause... It remind me of the Washington football team, which can never get out of its own way, and whenever anything even remotely good yeah, starts to happen shocker. on the field, yeah, the no. off-the-field stuff is always coming up to make it worse. Right. Hard to find out why. That's for sure. Yeah, anyway. Can we, uh, can we, you know, is it legal, based on our contract with Manscaped and Chili's and whatnot, to kind of be like a 50-50 podcast where Tuesdays we do Nats and Thursdays we do Padres? Is that, is that allowed? No. I'm on, I'm on board. <laughs> I am Listen. absolutely on board. Yeah. I mean, the Padres have been really impressive this offseason, and they're going to be fun to watch, without a doubt. Just, again, I, there's always the part of me that's like the huge Nats fan and the Nats homer, but there's also the part of me that's just a baseball fan, and you love to see teams just go small all in. Teams, and baby. Yeah, especially a small market. Like, the Rays are always really fun for me to see a team with such a low payroll do such great things. No, like, I they're bad for baseball. Well, yeah, sure, they're but, they're the definition of capitalism, so they're absolutely terrible for bad. The uh, whole the whole idea of teams doing it differently, the the idea of teams kind of coming at things in a different way and Exploding having it work cheap and, labor. <laughs> oh, for God's sake! Anyway, That's literally what they do. Um, but the top yeah. tease contract is it's very interesting for a lot of reasons. One, it just reset the entire market for all players. Two, it drastically uh, changes the shortstop market. We'll get to that in a little bit because he just got 24 million over 14 freaking years off Four. of 143 games. I don't think people understand how big of a risk this is for the Padres and one that can cripple their franchise if it goes poorly. Yasiel Puig had better numbers through his first, first 143 games than Fernando Tatis did. If um, if Yasiel Puig signed that contract at the same time in his career when uh, Tati said, Puig would still have six years left on his contract. Oof. It's a very, very big risk. Yes, looking at Tatis, he does have major flashes. And him getting paid like this is not a surprise because he's a superstar in the making and he has shown that he can be this guy. He does, however, have a lot of injuries already three years in his career, he's only played 143 games. There's big red flags. The Padres are a pretty good talent evaluator, though. They like their guy. They want their guy long-term. So they lined him up 14 years. So that is a massive, massive risk on their behalf. The AAV is low, but they're stuck with that for 14 years if he doesn't pan out. On the other hand, for uh, Francisco Lindor, Marcus Simeon, Trevor Story, Corey Seager, Carlos Correa, Javi Baez. Those are all free agents at the end of the season. Every single one of them is cracking open a beer with their agent right now because he just drastically changed the market. Lindor is getting well over $300 million right now. Story is going to get close. Correa was going to get over $200 million, and so is Javi. All these guys are absolutely huge winners, and it's amazing that just one contract – has drastically changed the entire, entire landscape. And one contract also spells terrible news for Nats when it comes to Trey Turner. And Juan Soto. Yeah, I was going to say even Juan That's Soto a whole too. separate thing. But yeah. Soto's five years away, so it does buy him a little more time, even though Scott Boris is smiling at this. But if the Nats wanted to sign Turner for less than $20 million, that's dead. Yeah, because that's dead, dead, dead. The, the market's going off of Tatis is 24. Lindor is going to beat it, so the market's going to go up. Story might beat it. Se uh, Seager won't, but 
still, these guys are going to beat that 24 mil and that's going to bring Turner's price up even more. So now you're looking at Turner probably going to get 20 to 24 million. The question is, is that going to be what the Nats want to give? So I think they drastically messed up not having these conversations. If they want to keep that price away from 24 million, they need to get them before he hits free agency. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, are there any opt-outs in this? This news just broke right before we started recording. Zero. So this is no trade clause. Yeah. So this reminds me a lot of the Bryce Harper deal, which was 13 years. But again, like they they just got married. This isn't, (laughs) they're not dating. This is a marriage. They, uh, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I um, I love that they locked up Tatis. I love that they committed because to get a guy even at, you know, that low AAV, relatively speaking, it would have been a lot higher on a shorter contract. And we'll get into this conversation later without deferrals. But um, I actually don't hate the the number even at a 14-year contract because even if he's not great, say 10 years, 11, 12 years into the contract, the way that these contracts go up, you're, just like we're talking right now about, oh, they should have locked Trey up because now it's going to be more than $20 million, which is what they didn't want to pay before. You know, some contracts are going to come up in the next decade that are going to make this look like nothing. You know, and then they're going to feel like, oh, well, even though he's not what he used to be, $24 million still isn't that bad. You know, the, the luxury tax threshold will go up. The, the contracts for other players will go up. And I just don't think this will wind up being as much of an albatross as it maybe could be unless he really gets injured or really falls off because he's so young. I mean, 14 years sounds like forever, but you know, he should still be barring any major injuries. He still should be a good baseball player 14 years from now, if he has a nice long career. And the thing with Ryan's point about if they want to keep that AAV down, they're going to have to get him before get Trey before free agency one crucial part to that is they're going to have to give him more years than they were initially comfortable with. That's mm-hmm. the only way you can get an AAV, AAV down. Yep. I mean, look at Trevor Bauer's contract versus Fernando Tatis. Trevor Bauer's making twice as much per year as Fernando Tatis. That's just the way these deals work. And if you look at like a guy like Trey and his particular skill skill set is highly dependent on his speed and range. He plays shortstop and, you know, he's a leadoff guy. So the further you get into that contract, the older he gets, that's going to be the first thing that goes. Power usually stays. Look at Nelson Cruz. Mm -hmm. But speed is always the first thing to go. So if you are really serious about locking Trey up, you just screwed yourself in multiple ways. Right. But that's not to say that they shouldn't do a deal. It's just going to be more difficult and entail more now than it would have even, you know, yesterday. So – that'll be something to watch but i love the padres because i mean i've been saying it all offseason with the moves they've been making but before the manny machado signing even after the eric cosmer signing they were the fourth most relevant team in california in california yeah i mean the dodgers are the dodgers angels haven't been competitive but they have the best player on the face of the earth the giants you know haven't been competitive in the last couple of years They've but won, won three world right. series the padres were at the bottom of the bottom and if they can crawl their way out then any other team in the rest of the league can do the same and it just goes to show that like ryan said it is pure capitalism all the owners care about is money in their pockets except for the padres owner i commend him i don't know his name 
but all the owners just care about money in their pockets and they don't care about competitiveness, which is why there needs to be a salary floor at minimum. And that's probably not even going to fix the problem because people are just going to, if the salary floor is 65 million, people are going to be at like 68. And that's still a problem, but. But at least they can't be at like start. 45. <laughs> it, the Padre, or excuse me, the, the Rays are like 32. I don't even think they're that high. So, I mean, yeah. long way to say, I commend the Padres. If it doesn't work, I'm still going to love them because they're at least trying. And that's more than e- even half the league. Yeah. Um, they they are trying and it's absolutely fantastic and it's great to see a small market team doing it because they're showing all teams can do this back to trey my one last point on him i do think the nats get it done with him um i just think that trey now is going to get like a seven year like 20 mil 22 million aav that's like my prediction on trey is i think the nats do get it done that's that's my final prediction with Trey. Seven year, twenty two million AAV. Final prediction on Trey. That's my last. Twenty two million. On yeah, Trey. I could see that AAV yeah, if it was seven years. But the point you just made about one forty to one fifty four. Yeah. One forty to one fifty four. The point you just made, Nick, about him losing speed. That makes me almost feel like it would be smarter for them, you know, to to do a shorter deal with a higher AAV. But we know how they feel about high AAV deals. I mean, even isn't. Max only making like fifteen million a year. I just don't because know. They gave, him two, they gave him a huge Max, contract. No, Max is getting paid like thirty-five million. He's making fifteen. Oh, million fifteen million that. is after next He's year. Deferred, yeah. Forever, yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know. I I hope that they do get Trey. And even if, and again, we've talked about this before. Sometimes you have to just accept that the last few years of a contract aren't going to be good for you, and you're going to be paying overpaying for a guy based on his production at the end of a contract. But you're willing to take that on, knowing what you're going to get earlier in the contract. And I think Trey's a perfect example of that. Like if you want to lock him up, if you want to, he's going to want a longer term, you know, because somebody's going to give it to him if the Nats won't. So right. they're going to have to do, especially after this Tatis deal, that's, you know, changed the market so much. They're going to have to give him a longer term and they're going to have to come over 20 million. And, you know, if they won't do it, somebody else will. So I, the very... if they let Trey go, I'm going to be just beyond livid after Rendon and Harper. If Trey goes to, I just don't even know what I'm going to do with They myself. can't afford to let him go. I mean, they might, but they certainly can't afford to. Well, we said that too, though, about Bryce and about Rendon. Well, I mean, look at the, the state of the Nationals without those two. Yeah. They, they couldn't afford to let them go. That's just the fact of the matter. Right, but that doesn't but, mean they won't do it. No, I agree. That's what I'm saying. But, you know, with Trey, the very least they could do is front load the deal. So that way, when you get to those um, supposed albatross years when Trey is older and not, doesn't have the, the you know, pep in a step that he once did, it doesn't hinder you from making other moves. But that's literally the exact opposite of <laughs> exactly. what the Nats tip, typically do with all their deferred money. But I'm hoping they're you know they have enough foresight to front load the deal with trey so that way you know when he's 35 he's only making like 10 million as opposed to 2022 but you know wishful thinking right yeah that seems uh, if history is any indication and it usually is that doesn't seem likely but it would be smart yep okay so let's shift gears just a little bit and we've talked a lot about what this deal may mean for so or for trey let's talk about what it may mean for soto 
Scott Boris is the happiest man in the world right now, as I just said. Like always the happiest man in the world. I know. Like <laughs> if Soto continues at the pace he is on, he's gonna hit free agency at age 25. If he continues at his torrid pace of his numbers with the way the market is, Soto will get 400 million. There's a lot of factors at play. He still has, I think, four or five years left until he's a free agent. There's a lot that can happen that time frame. But if he hits free agency, that contract will start with a four, and it will be well over 10 years. I can guarantee it. Especially the way these contracts are going for young guys. They want the security. He's going to get over 10 years, and it's going to be over $400 million. Tati's getting this. Benefits. So really. <laughs> yeah. So like, but then it's a thing. You can give him like four hundred some million, give him like twelve something years, like the Angels did with Trout. So he gets that record ton of money, but helps bring the AAV down. So long sentence short, Juan Soto will get four hundred million if he continues at the pace he's on. Like you can almost guarantee it. If he keeps putting up these numbers, he's going to get a stupid, stupid contract. And I think if he even hits free agency, it's a massive failure on the part of the Nationals. You have oh my God, to I agree. get him before he hits free agency. Now, having said that, it's Boris. He hates to let his guys sign before free agency. So it really just is going to come down to, I think, how happy is Juan Soto in Washington? Does he want to stay here? Does he want to get a deal done? Does he want to you know, just get what he wants from the nationals and call it good? Or does he want to go hit free agency? I, he doesn't seem to have the same personality as a Bauer or somebody like that who wants all the attention and wants to go, you know, get squeeze every last penny out. But I don't know, you know, is, yeah. who knows behind the scenes, how happy is he here? Does he want to spend his entire career here? Or does he want to test the waters elsewhere? And that's a big part of it. People still bitch about Rendon not having been signed. And what we realized after he was gone is he didn't want to be here. Nothing they did was going to get him to stay here by the end. I think if they had signed him a few years before he hit free agency, that would have been a different story. But he did not want to be here, and nothing they offered him was going to change that. So I think it's going to come down to what does Juan Soto want? Does he want to be a national for life? And if so, if they let him hit free agency, it's it's a travesty. Yeah, you both make great points. And certainly um, Boris does throw a little bit of a wrench into this because – Tatis was not represented by Boris, and that's, you know, quite honestly a large reason why that deal got done in the manner that it did at the time it did. Um, but for Juan Soto in particular, the Nats need to learn from their mistakes. And that's something the Nats haven't necessarily done well. And, you know, we're a Nats podcast, so I can't say the Nats are better or worse or the same as other teams when it comes to this, but... With Rendon, they waited too long. They quite literally waited until he had a career year, which was mm -hmm. the wrong move in its own right. Awful World Series, mind you. And they waited until he became unhappy. Not like that was their intent, but Rendon, as we you know found out after the fact, was not happy with the Nats. And you know, even if we like to spin it that he left because his job in Washington was done, he won us a title da 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 but he probably would have left anyways because it seemed like he was that unhappy we all know tony for you know the quiet reserved just fun third baseman that he was but he had no problem speaking out against like some things that were going on within the organization so you go to juan soto who's even better than anthony rendon has been is now 
And you can't let it get to that point either at the end of arbitration or to the point where he gets so fed up with the organization that he has an easy out because free agency is right around the corner. So you need to do something now. I understand you might not want to because it's going to cost you more in, um, you know, now than it would later, but it's something that needs to be done. Yes, he's only what? How old is Swan now? 23? 22, I think. Still 22. Wow. Yeah. Like, I understand that, you know, it is a risk. As good as Juan Soto is right now, it's a huge risk. Ryan All of up, these long-term contracts yeah, are huge he, risks. Yeah, he brought up a beautiful point with Yasiel Puig and how much of a phenom he was when he came up. And now he's literally out of the league, and he's been out of the league for over a year. So, you know, it is a huge risk. But if you are serious, Juan Soto is the key. He's yeah. going to not only attract other free agents to Washington, but he's also going to drive your ticket sales mm-hmm. and your merch sales, which is where a lot of the money comes from anyways, which in turn can help you pay for those free agents that Juan Soto attracts. So, you know, like we said with Bryce, that contract will pay for itself. So what the learners and I guess Rizzo need to learn from their mistakes is that contract will pay for itself and you can't wait too long because they literally just waited too long with Trey Turner. So what's to say they won't wait too long with Juan Soto? Yeah, I agree hundred percent with that assessment. And it, it's not to me, the thing with Rendon is he didn't seem that unhappy until I think he felt disrespected. It seemed to me by the, yeah, their, their seeming lack of interest in keeping him long-term and the, the way that you show these athletes, if you're the team, you show these athletes respect with money. That's how you do it. You you show them you're serious. You show them how much you want them on your team by taking care of them financially. That's that's This is their job. They want to be respected that way. And like you said, those contracts will pay for themselves. We talked about this when Harper signed that huge contract. Is Maybe in the later years of that contract, his on-field production won't be worth what you're paying him anymore. But the amount of merch sales and ticket sales and the attraction of other agents and all that. That's what Tatis is going to do for the Padres. They just sign the face of their franchise. And, you know, a lot of these owners, Ryan, you were saying the owners are like, oh, all I care about is money in my pocket. Well, if you compete, if you put a good product on the field, you're going to get a hell of a lot more money from the fans. You're going to get a hell of a lot more money from, you know, ticket sales and all those other, you know, all those other ways of getting money beyond just getting your, your shared money from the league. And, you know, if they can sign Soto, Soto is going to be every bit as much of a superstar as Tatis. They ha- you have him right now in your building. Do not let him out of your building. Do what you have to do to make him the face of your franchise and just get it done. Get it. Go to, go to Boris and say, what is it going to take to get it done? And freaking do it. I think there's also more pressure on the Nats to sign Soto because we've been hearing it for every player who's left. Oh, we need it for the next guy. Like, right. We There's, need Harper's money for Rendon. We need Rendon's exactly. money for Trey. We, you know, and it's going to be if Trey leaves, we need Trey's money for Soto. I'm sick of it. Like, there's people who are upset the Nats didn't re-sign Desmond. There's people who are so upset the Nats didn't re-sign Harper. There's people who are upset they didn't re-sign Rendon. And then if somehow Turner walks, or if they sign Turner, but like if Soto walks, there's going to be a lot of people who are done with this team. There's going to be a lot of people upset that they can't keep any of their homegrown talent. And you have to keep Soto. Yeah. Just, and, Soto, right. and Soto truly is more of a generational player than any of those guys. They were all great players. They all, we all would have loved for them to stay on the team. But Soto is a different thing. Like, you can't let 
go of Soto. You cannot let that guy go. And especially now that the Braves have signed Acuna long-term and now the Padres have signed Tatis long-term, like, come on, Nationals, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> Brian, would you say it's safe to say that if the Nets don't re-sign Soto, there would be a um, revolution? Oh, here we go. A revolution. <laughs> <laughs> Here we go. You know, no, Way Nick. to alley-oop that over there, Nick. <laughs> if a revolution is popular, it's just regular Tuesday. Revolutions are not popular. I am a revolutionary. I know a lot about revolutions. And I'm beginning another one. It's our Twitter question, so we can we can save it if you want. All right, we'll, we'll, we'll save it. We'll save it. It's our so grand we'll, finale, so I don't want you to, you know, shoot your shot too early. A, you should outro the show with the revolution by the Beatles tonight. That should be our outro song. Uh, nah, I got. I, I got. I got well with interest. people telling me what to do. So, yeah, um, that's okay. Just do it anyway. Speaking of revolutions, we have a revolutionary type of segment on this podcast. It's called Matt's Moment, our monthly interview with Matt Wyrick of NBC Sports Washington. Um, Nick and I just sat down with Matt, and we talked about the biggest storylines heading into spring training, the battle for the rotation, the battle for the last bench spot, and what's the most important thing to monitor and why it's the outfield defense. And we also did a pretty special game. Um, We did a draft for what was supposed to be realistic trade targets and then matt kind of just went with the whole you know turned off salary cap it was pretty funny though um it was a fantastic interview and we hope you guys enjoy it what's up everyone and welcome to the february edition of matt's moment here on half street high heat as always it's our monthly interview with best friend of the podcast matt wyrick of nbc sports washington you can find him on twitter at by matt wyrick and make sure you head on over to nbc sports washington to check out all of matt's latest pieces matt how you doing my man pretty good guys thanks for having me on again i mean as always um you're probably the best guest we've ever had. Just throwing that out there, man. Um, we're we're a wolf pack, you know, and I got I got to hype up my wolf pack boys. And um, spring training's here. Pitchers are reporting, catchers are reporting, and it was actually sunny for I think the first time in maybe like two weeks. I don't know. I feel like I haven't seen the sun in forever. So things are good. And jumping right on into it, what are the biggest storylines that Nats fans should be paying attention to right now as players begin reporting to camp? Yeah, it's uh, it's an exciting time. Pitchers and catchers technically came to spring training a couple of days ago in order to quarantine. So they've all kind of been down in Florida already. But the official day is today. So definitely cause for celebration when we haven't had real baseball since October. So definitely exciting day as far as, as what Nats fans should be paying attention to. I think the number one thing that the, the most people have asked me about leading up to spring training uh, is Steven Strasburg's health. And with pitchers and catchers reporting, that's probably going to be one of the first things that we're going to get an update on is where exactly is Steven Strasburg in his recovery from carpal tunnel surgery. He had that nerve issue in his throwing hand last season, was limited to just two starts, uh, and then shut down before undergoing surgery. So we haven't seen more than two starts of Steven Strasburg in more than a calendar year now. And it's definitely been a long Long comeback for him, but we're going to kind of see where he's at. So I think that's the number one thing 
uh, that Nationals fans should be looking out for. We've also, of course, got the annual fifth starter competition. Uh, this, once again, same group as last year, at least at the top, uh, between Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, and, oops, sorry, I just hit something on my thing. Uh, Joe Ross, Eric Fetty, uh, and, of course, Austin Voth. So that's going to be interesting. We, we have a bit of an interesting dynamic with Eric Fetty having a option left on his contract uh, where he can be sent down to the minors, whereas Joe Ross and Austin Voth are out of options. So they are probably the two more likely candidates to make the roster, one being uh, as the fifth starter and the other being the long man in the bullpen. Of course, the Nationals could opt to release one of them if they believe Fetty really serves the club better up in the major leagues right away. Uh, but that's going to be something that we're probably going to find out a bit more down the line. So those are the big uh, pitcher-related items. Uh, once the full squad gets down to West Palm, you know, we'll be looking at a few things. I think uh, the outfield defense is going to be interesting. We, we have uh, big storylines all across the outfield with Kyle Schwarber coming in with his defense questions uh, starting in left field. You know, a lot of people think that he's already supposed to be at DH. So it's going to be interesting to see how he tries to prove the doubters wrong, working with Davey Martinez, the man who originally taught him to play in the outfield when the Cubs switched him over back in 2016. Victor Robles in center field. He took a bit of a step back last year after being a gold, gold glove finalist in 2019. He gained a lot of weight the previous offseason, so it's going to be interesting to see what his frame is coming this year, if he's able to get some of that speed back and get that range that made him such a dynamic outfielder out there in center. And then over in right, Soto playing right field for the first time in his major league career after starting his MLB stint over in left. He's moving over to make room for Schwarber. So it's going to be a bit of an adjustment for him. Even though he did play right field in the minors, I do think, you know, seeing the ball a different way, your, your arm is going to be tested in ways that it isn't tested in left field. It's it's a different position, and, you know, he's going to have to adjust. So I think the outfield defense is a, an underrated storyline that, you know, we should probably be paying attention to as well. Yeah, and I think that's one no one's really talking about either. Everyone's just assuming that Soto's going to be fine out there, switching from left to right. We saw Bryce make the change as well, and he kind of had a little bit of an adjustment period. That adjustment period was he ran into every single wall that was near him, so hopefully Soto doesn't do that as much as Bryce did. Something else that's interesting is the last bench spot. Are we really in a situation where that, is between Jordy Mercer and Gerardo Parra right now? It's kind of up in the air. I think the Nationals like to think that, you know, anybody could win that spot. You know, it's probably something that's going to come down to versatility, being able to play multiple positions. Uh, and also, they don't really have a, a natural backup shortstop on the roster. Jordy Mercer is kind of the top guy in that way. Wilmer Defoe, obviously, no longer with the organization. He was kind of that, that top shortstop fill-in player whenever Trey Turner uh, was hurt. So they're probably going to need to figure out someone to fill in at shortstop, whether that's Starlin Castro being able to move over, Josh Harrison picking up shortstop, whatever it's going to be. So it's going to kind of depend there. Uh, but yeah, it, it could, it very well could come down to Mercer and Para. Uh, you know, obviously neither are on the roster right now. So the Nationals have options. They have time uh, to figure things out, but there are a few non-roster invitees who could make a push for this Nationals roster. And Matt, to that end, we've kind of seen this going on with the Nats for a while now. Um, Ryan mentioned on one of our recent episodes how Trey Turner hasn't really had a legitimate backup uh, for several years now um, since his uh, center field days. So um, do you see – I think at this point we can kind of put the right-handed right power bat to bed. 
uh, at least for now, maybe the deadline brings something new, but can you see the Nats making any sort of move for a legitimate Swiss Army knife? Because I know they have certain guys and have had certain guys who can fill multiple positions, but it's more serviceable, not necessarily you're comfortable having them there. And I know a couple years ago they were really big on Ben Zobras, who ultimately signed with the Cubs. Um, do you see anyone like that in the Nats future, or are they just going to see what happens with spring training and if a guy like Jordy Mercer takes that spot and roll with what they have? Yeah, I don't think that the Nationals are going to make any moves at this point. Their 40-man roster is at 39 players right now, so they probably want that spot uh, to be able to fill in with a player such as Jordy Mercer, such as Rado Parra, maybe Luis Avilan if they decide to add him to the roster. Uh, he's a non-roster invitee as well. So I think they'd rather have that flexibility. Like you said, that right-handed power bat probably not going to happen before the start of the season. Uh, and I, I would say that they probably have the group that they're going to roll with uh, at, for the, at least the start of the season. Of course, they've left some room uh, for some midseason upgrades in multiple ways. So uh, even if the Nationals need to make a tweak or two along the way, I think they're going to be able to. They've given themselves plenty of financial flexibility there. So I would say, yeah, that those are probably the guys that's going to come down to right now. You know, Luis Garcia is in camp, but I really don't expect the Nationals to keep him in the majors, uh, A, because he's just so young, and, and, and B, you know, they want him to be playing every single day as a top prospect. You know, they always want to do that with their top prospects. They don't really like to bring them up to the majors only for them to ride the bench. So I would imagine unless that, you're Carter Keepum, unless you're Carter Keepum, apparently, um, and Estrubal Cabrera uh, needs to rack up a few RBIs. But um, yeah, I would I would guess that Garcia is probably going to be in the minor leagues. You know, he can kind of play multiple positions as well. So if there is an injury or two, it pro certainly could pave the way for him. Uh, to make it back up onto the roster, as well as Yazel Antuna, the Nationals' uh, top infield prospect behind, I guess you now he's ahead of Garcia, technically. Um, he just added the 40-man roster this offseason, so there is a chance he gets added uh, at some point as well, although I would imagine that Garcia would be higher on the pecking order just because he made it to the majors first. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of fans would like to see Garcia as well, especially had some of those pretty exciting flashes of talent, even though Bob and FP completely missed his first career home run. Butchered it. Butchered. <laughs> Didn't realize it was a home run until he was rounding third. Um, so I saw you put out a article, I believe it was last week, talking about the NL East hitter trios. Um, I agree with you that obviously the Braves had the best hitter trio in the division. They may have a top five one in baseball. Do you think Josh Bell can bounce back this year and really have the Nats have an elite one, two, three top of the lineup and compete with the Braves top of the order? Yeah, I mean, that honestly might be the biggest question, not necessarily a spring training storyline, but storyline for the Nationals this season is what exactly is Josh Bell capable of? Because the Nationals appear content with rolling of him as their primary lineup protector for Juan Soto, which might just be the most important piece on the team other than Juan Soto. So Bell went off in 2019, that first half, you know, put together a breakout campaign. And then at the all-star break started to fall apart, fall apart. And in 2020 really wasn't all that much better. He's known as Tinker Bell. That was his nickname in the minors because he tinks 
uh, tinkers with so much of his swing uh, back and forth. So I think that him and Kevin Long are going to be a really good match for each other because Kevin Long is always trying to say, okay, let, let's move your foot here, raise your hands here. Uh, you know, the launch angle revolution is something that he really bought into. So I think the two of them are a match made in heaven, and they certainly are capable of, of figuring things out and unlocking Bell's true power potential. Uh, it's it's definitely a question mark. I wouldn't say that, you know, the Nationals are going to be able to bank on that, um, but that's why they got Schwarber because I think Schwarber has a bit of a higher floor uh, than Bell. If, if Bell were to struggle immensely, at least Schwarber is, is there giving you 35 home runs, uh, and you can move him up in the order if you need to. So uh, I would say I believe that Josh Bell is very capable uh, of bouncing back and, and being the player that he was in the first half of 2019, but we're just going to have to kind of see it before we believe it. Yeah, and I guess I can't remember when the Bell trade happened, but regardless, the lineup looks a lot. Yeah. Oh, okay. So we have talked to you since then. Um, but the addition of Schwarber kind of gives you some options. What is your current top of the lineup looking like right now? Because I still am a, you know, uh, a representative of the Soda Should Hit second campaign. But, you know, with bell and short in particular because the rest of the lineup pretty much looks the same as it was last year um as far as who you're filling out the lineup with um bell and Schwarber are pretty much the same profile as far as what they can bring to a lineup and what they do well so what is your top of the lineup and where do you see any changes potentially being made if the lineup struggles because we know davy loves to throw out a different lineup every day yeah, you know, there's a lot of different ways I think it can be tossed around. I would have liked to see the Nationals get a high OBP guy this offseason. They really didn't. Someone like Michael Brantley. I think then you would have had a good case for hitting Soto third uh, in that high OBP guy second and, and Trey leading off and maybe Bell hitting fourth behind him. But they, they ultimately didn't get that player. And with Soto's on-base percentage prowess, I think he, he's a great fit for the number two spot. The only thing is I, I don't think that you want Juan Soto hitting right after Trey Turner uh, because Trey is going to steal bases. And when you steal bases, you as a hitter, you know, if somebody is on first base, you're going to have to give up a strike or two in order for the guy to go. You know, you can't be taking hacks every single time Trey is running. Then you're stifling the second best player on the team's best talent. Unfortunately, by doing that, you're stifling the best player on the team's best talent, Juan Soto hitting. You know, I think Juan Soto should be maximizing every single pitch that he gets in every single at bat, uh, and you don't want him to be, have to be giving up strikes. Unfortunately, with the way the Nationals have uh, their lineup constructed right now, it's probably the only thing you're going to do, and you're just going to have to eat it. Uh, but my dream lineup scenario would be to have gotten another high OBP guy, hit that guy first, Juan second, Trey third, Bell fourth, Schwarber fifth. Uh, but unfortunately, you know, like I said, no high OBP guy there. Uh, so I think the way that we're looking at it right now, it's probably going to go Turner, Soto, Bell, Schwarber, Castro, on and on to the rest of the uh, lineup. Also, I'm a big guy on um, hitting the pitcher eighth, so let's get Victor Robles in that nine spot. Yeah, I love hitting the pitcher eighth. Obviously, the ideal situation is you have the universal DH and you don't have to worry about the pitchers hitting, um, which still might happen, but as of right now, still nothing. Uh, I want to talk about something you mentioned because it was thrown around early in the offseason before really the offseason got underway with Trey mm -hmm. hitting third. And I, I know Trey had a, a reaction to that with that he kind of, was surprised that that was even being mentioned just because, you know, his speed and just his ability to be a leadoff guy. 
should the Nats trade for, let's say, a legitimate you know threat, OBP wise, whoever it may be, just pick someone. Could you see a reality where Trey Turner hits third and does so effectively? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I think Davey Martinez is willing to mess with this lineup any way that he see fits. You know, it's definitely proven to be creative in the lineup department. I would not be surprised to see him push Trey back. I know that he likes to give guys their spot in the lineup and, and say, okay, you can get used to that spot. Mm-hmm. That's yours. Um, but, you know, if, if the Nationals were to make a splashy move for, for a leadoff guy, somebody who could, you know, hit at the top of the order, maybe has a little bit of speed, which I do think having, a, you know, a lot of speed at the top of the order is a bit overrated. And, you know, you don't need that guy uh, hitting leadoff to steal bases. You just need him to get to second base. So if you get a guy who's consistently hitting doubles, that will get the job done uh, in terms of getting into scoring position for the guys behind him. So, uh, you know, if they find somebody who either has speed or can get to second base on a consistent basis, I think absolutely the Nationals could do it. And I could see Trey thriving in it, you know, uh, with Soto hitting in front of you in that case. I think that actually takes a lot of pressure off because, you know, the damage has already been done. Whatever Soto could do to that opposing pitcher, he's done. Uh, mm-hmm. and you don't have to worry about setting the table for that guy. Now you're just trying to do your own thing, get on base because you've got two 30 homer hitters behind you in, in Bell and Schwarber. So, I, you know, I think it'd be a really good scenario uh, for Trey Turner that could really help maximize his offensive potential because he's such a dynamic offensive player. I mean, he, he really does have, you know, pretty good uh, bat-to-ball skills. He makes contact. His walks have gone up steadily the last few years, We're cutting down a bit on the strikeouts. Uh, and, you know, he's got that sneaky pop. He's hit almost, uh, you know, 20 homers uh, before, and I think, you know, he could definitely do it again. You know, I think he could get close to 30 if he stays healthy for a full year and is really locked in at the plate for the, the full season. So this is a career year opportunity for Trey. And I think, you know, putting him in that three spot would give him every opportunity to succeed. Yeah, I agree. And as we've seen over the past couple of years, especially that three, four prototypical, even the, the one and two, those prototypical guys that you may expect, like the fast guy in the leadoff and the 40, 50 home run guy in your four spot, that's not really the case anymore. So I do like the idea, should we get an appropriate leadoff guy of Trey hitting third? But that kind of segues nicely into what we're going to do today for our segment. And we are going to do a draft of ideal trade targets. So the way this is going to work, you guys have known uh, how we do drafts. We're just going to do two rounds, and obviously, you know, the Nats aren't going to trade for Chris Bryant. I mean, the Nats might not trade for anyone, but uh, they're obviously not going to trade for Chris Bryant and Eugenio Suarez in the same calendar year. So we've got to kind of finesse some realism into this, but I've randomized the draft order. I am going first, (laughs) Ryan's going second, and Matt, you're going third, but it is a snake draft, so you get to do back-to-back picks. Nice. Everyone ready? Let's get it. Let's do it. So for my pick, I mean, I'm just going to go the one I've wanted since I, you know, thought it might be a reality. And the Reds are selling right now. So who knows what they might be inclined to do. Uh, Their 60-game window uh, was nice while it lasted, but it certainly does not seem like they're going all in. And I am trading for Eugenio Suarez. I don't care if it means giving up Cavalli. I also think you don't necessarily have to give him up. Uh, I am not a GM, but I think you could uh, center a package around some of the mid-tier guys, uh, you know, the the lower half of the top 10 to get that deal done. 
Uh, I know the Reds were looking for a shortstop, and they were not interested in Kibum, and I don't blame them for that. But I, I think a deal could be done, and I hope it will be done in the future. But Eugenio Suarez is my number one pick. It's a really good pick. You know, I <clears throat> absolutely love the guy, but I'm going the different route. There's the obvious people, but I'm going to go – I'm going south for this one. He was an all-star in 2019. He got hurt. He missed the entire second half. He bounced back with a really nice 2020. Um, he had 14 home runs in 56 games. He had a 362 on base percentage, and that is Brandon Lowe. So I'm going to trade for a second baseman, and I'm going to put Castro at third. Lowe has a very, very team-friendly deal for five years. He also has sneaky pop. He had 17 home runs in 82 games with the 850 OPS, and he had a 916 OPS last year. He's pretty solid defensively. He was top eight uh, MVP vote last year. He was an all-star in 2019, like I said. You can hit him second. You can hit him third. You can also hit him fifth, and he adds a good amount of versatility for both sides of the ball. So I'm going Brandon Lowe from the Tampa Bay Rays with my first pick. I like that. Yeah, especially because the Rays have, one, have no problem, you know, trading away established guys and developing prospects. So the Rays could um you know find plenty to like in our system even though most people can't and two he's just he's cheap he's versatile like you said so i like that one a lot all right so with my back-to-back picks uh first i'm gonna i'm gonna fill the third base hole um and, and if we're talking who could be the best third baseman available there are reports that this team has been in discussions over a trade with this player. Oh, no. Uh, but I nothing. Forgot. We haven't had any uh, progress toward that front. Uh, but Matt Chapman is reportedly a target of the Mets uh, to fill their hole at third base, which they say hole. I don't, they don't really have a hole. They have J.D. Davis player, who I think is a pretty good third baseman. But, you know, that's that's just me. But uh, if, if Matt Chapman is available, I think he instantly becomes – maybe even the best player available on the trade market. Uh, you know, a two-time all-star, good pick, good pick. Two, yeah. maybe the best defensive player in all of baseball. Uh, and if you look at the numbers, I was talking about this with a few people, I think it was last week, his career so far kind of stacks up to what Francisco Lindor has really put together uh, over in Cleveland to this point. Uh, you know, he, he's really been a, a spectacular player with the glove, but you know, we talk about high OBP, career 336 on base percentage, which is pretty solid. Uh, you know, he's hit uh, into the 20s and 30s in home runs. I think he's just such a dynamic player, and plus he has three years of control. So, you know, it, the Nationals might not have what it takes to acquire Matt Chapman, uh, but if they were able to put together the package, uh, you know, this is this is a player who they, they could build their team around along with Trey and Soto moving forward. So I think Matt Chapman... Uh, you know, lock him in into that third base spot because, you know, he's just such a dynamic player. Uh, and then with my wraparound pick, I'm, I'm addressing the bullpen and I'm getting Josh Hader from the uh, Brewers. Hader, one of the best bullpen arms of the past four seasons. He's been in the trade market, uh, you know, on and off. The, the Brewers have had a pretty high asking price on him. Uh, but as the season goes on this year in the Brewers, probably start to fade in that NL Central race. I don't really see them being major contenders. I think that the Cardinals are going to run away with the NL Central sneak uh, preview to my predictions for that division. But, uh, you know, Josh Hader is one of their best 
assets right now, uh, and I think that they're going to be motivated to trade him so the Nationals maybe midseason uh, acquire Josh Hader to fill out that bullpen and really give themselves a, a late-inning punch that rivals the best in the league. Yeah, um, so I just lost. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice to have a father-son duo with Hader and Soto. That'd be yes, nice. <laughs> that would be really nice. We should get uh, Michael Brantley in there and, and Daniel Hudson on the same team, too. <laughs> Yeah, so I'll do my next one. <laughs> so when I was thinking about this, I was like, I can go flashy or I can like look at this from like a numbers perspective and be realistic. Like I thought the Nats would do and I did that and I'm going to get slaughtered in this, but that's okay. <laughs> so my next pick, you need pitching. I think pitching is going to be, well, pitching is always crucial, but I think it's going to be more crucial this year than ever, especially after the weird season last year. Guys' arms may not be ready to do a full season this year. So I am going to go to Colorado because you can give them absolutely nothing and they'll pay you to take their players. And I'm going to trade for uh, German Marquez, fantastic pitcher. He's a pretty cheap team-friendly deal for about four or five more years. Yeah, four years, I can count. Um, and his road splits are pretty good. Last year, he had a 206 ERA on the road, 367 and 19, 295 and 18. Pitching in Colorado is not great, and he is a victim of that really stud pitcher you can slide him in the four or the five and that gives you a pretty good and pretty deep rotation you know you got voth fetty ross all of them dealing and they can kind of go into different roles and you have about seven to eight mlb guys so i think that'd be a fantastic pick please vote for me that's all i'm gonna end it with <laughs> i so I wanted to go with Merrifield because I feel like the Royals are positioning themselves in uh, pretty well, you know, to compete in 2021, but also um, setting themselves up to where if they are fading, they can sell a lot of valuable pieces at the deadline. And I think Whit Merrifield is not excluded from that. Um, but like I said, to start this, you want to have or I guess some semblance of realism, even though none of these trades probably happen anyways. So I'm going to shift, and I do think the Nats need more pitching depth because, Matt, like you said, to to start this, we don't know what Steven Strasburg is going to bring. I mean, we don't know what Max Scherzer is going to bring. He's another year older, and hopefully he can put up another dominant season, but he's 37 now. So I want to get pitching, and ironically, I'm going to the same team that Ryan just talked about, and that's the Rockies, but I'm going with a different arm, and that's Kyle Freeland. Yeah, he's had a kind of rough 2019 on, but if you go to 2018, he had a 285 ERA in 33 games, which, you know, that's solid in any um you know, for any team, but the fact that he did it in Colorado with, you know, the noted struggles of pitchers in Colorado, that tells me something's there. I mean, he had 17 wins. Yeah, it's a team stat, but still impressive nonetheless. So I would like to see if he can, you know, find something uh, like we talked about with Josh Bell. You put him on a contender and maybe he does well. And that 2018 Colorado team was if I'm not mistaken, one game away from the World Series. Um, so maybe if you put Kyle Freeland into a team that views himself as a contender, he kind of bounces back. He pitched over 200 innings that year. So even if he just becomes an innings eater, that would be something this team could use if someone like Strauss or Scherzer struggle. Plus, you know, I'm not sure if I want to see John Lester and Eric Fetty pitch as much as they're scheduled to do right now. So that's what I would do. So please vote for me. <laughs> 
Yeah, I guess I really did swing for the fences there. You guys did say ideal trade candidates before the show. This is true. Like, this ideal. Like this is true. It is ideal for the Nets to trade Matt Chapman and Josh Hader. Matt was sitting here mad he got the third pick and ended up with freaking Chapman and Hader. I really thought Chapman was gonna be off the board. I mean, I, uh, I Hader was gonna be off the board. Him. Completely forgot. Man. <laughs> I'm gonna throw, I mean, this isn't even worth a poll. <laughs> I'm going to rather vote, have, guys. For you. Hey, Ramon Marquez is home road splits, though. <laughs> That's just offensive. How dare you? <laughs> yeah, Kyle Freeland's 2018. Like, that was recent. So, <laughs> on to my spaghetti. <laughs> All right. Well, I guess, uh, you know, vote for Ryan or myself for second place. That's really where the competition starts. But that poll will be up on Twitter later this is coming out Thursday, so it'll probably be up sometime Friday morning. So check that out and, uh, you know, admire our team uh, with Matt Chapman and Josh Hader on it, I guess. <laughs> um, Matt, we want to end with something fun as per usual. So I have a question for you. Okay. You're, wait, are you a Cowboys fan? No. S- Saints fan. Saints fan. Okay. Um, but, oh, but know, Ben DiNucci. Ben DiNucci. Yeah, that's, that's where I was getting it from. Ben DiNucci. Okay. So, I mean, that, that ties in perfectly to my question. And we usually go football anyway because we're going to start a fantasy football podcast. Exactly. Um, what is your way too early prediction for the 2022 Super Bowl? Way too early prediction for the 2022 Super Bowl. Uh, let's, let's think. I mean, it's hard not to say the Chiefs, but I'm not going to say the Chiefs because that's no fun. Um, I think, I think, I think the Bills can run it back. Uh, I think the Bills and the Browns are going to be the two best teams in the AFC next year. So stamp, that's your AFC championship game. Bills Browns, uh, repeat of the what was that divisional round game? Yeah, div- this year. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah so I'll round. say the Bills beat the Browns in the AFC championship, uh, and we are going to see the Rams in the NFC championship game beating the. Mm-hmm, Buccaneers because Tom Brady makes the championship game, you know, conference championship every year. Uh, so I'll say Rams beat the Bucks, uh, and then the Rams beat the Bills in the Super Bowl because the Bills can't have nice things. And Matthew Stafford <laughs> is going to show everyone uh, that he actually is a top 10 quarterback, and they've been sleeping on him for years because he's been in, in Detroit. Does that solidify Stafford's Hall of Fame resume? Absolutely. More, more than Phillip Rivers' Hall of Fame resume. <laughs> Do the Saints make the playoffs? Um, with Jameis Winston, yes, absolutely. I mean, with Jameis slinging it to Michael Thomas and dumping it off to Alvin Kamara, I mean, that offensive combo right there, I think they need a second receiver. There's a lot of receivers available in, in free agency, and Emmanuel Sanders wasn't really getting it done as that guy. They've really alternated dudes, you know, being that number two receiver for the past, like, five years. Uh, so I think if, if they can sling it with another receiver who can stretch the field, uh, that offense is going to be one of the best in football just with how many tools it has. That offensive line is, is so deep, um, and, and the defense is pretty underrated too. I mean, Cameron Jordan, Marshawn Lattimore being the last year of his deal, uh, you know, Ryan, um, uh, what's his name, Alex Anzalone in the middle. You know, they, they got a lot of good names over there, and, you know, uh, the NFC South, the Falcons suck. The Panthers, unless they somehow trade for, was it Deshaun Watson they're trying to trade for right now? Yeah. Like the whole farm? You know, maybe maybe they'll get uh, Deshaun Watson, but I heard that Christian McCaffrey is involved, which if they trade Christian McCaffrey to get Deshaun Watson, I don't think that makes them much of a better team. 
um, in my opinion. I think that if you were to build, pick any player in the league to build your team around, you know, Deshaun Watson would probably be like in the top three of picks, but I think Christian McCaffrey would be in the top six. Uh, so does that really make your team all that much better, getting Deshaun Watson over Christian McCaffrey? I'm not convinced. Um, and then obviously the Bucks are the Bucks, uh, and they're going to be, you know, they have to kind of rebuild a little bit with how many guys they have hitting free agency, but I think it's going to be a two-horse race once again with the Saints and the Bucks, and I think the Saints could definitely make a log card. Well, I think you're selling your team short because they have uh, the best wide receiver two in the game in Taysom Hill. Of so, course. Yeah. The best wide receiver two slash tight end slash quarterback slash gunner <laughs> slash uh, blocker slash everything. I just thought it was Taysom funny Hill. how they, they played the Broncos when the Broncos had no quarterback and Taysom Hill still wasn't the best quarterback on the field. Oh, so. man. Okay, <laughs> they did go ultra conservative with that game plan because they felt like they couldn't run up the score. So, like, they, they really didn't attempt a whole lot of deep balls. I got to defend him there. But Taysom is not the future quarterback. It's just you can't you can't reasonably make the case that he should be a starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, I mean it's it's just I'm sorry. No. <laughs> Jameis Winston is the most electric player in the NFL yes. history. Are you kidding? The man the man threw thirty interceptions and he had like sixteen dropped interceptions that same year. I and, love watching him play. You know he got that thirtieth interception on his final throw of the season. And not only so not only was it an interception, it was a pick six to close out the year uh, and, and end the season on an L for the Bucks. It was amazing. It was the hey, greatest thing I've ever seen. He got surgery and he threw a ball farther in the playoffs than Drew Brees has ever thrown the ball in his entire life. So he is back. <laughs> he's back and he got LASIK surgery so he can see that 30-30 vision is now 2020. Uh, and I'm feeling good, man. Jameis all the way. Let's get it. I've already bought my jersey. <laughs> just kidding i haven't but i will if, if they sign him no, no. Uh, as I was i'm addicted like to buying jerseys <laughs> <laughs> all right um matt thank you as always for coming on it's always an absolute pleasure having you on in matt's moment it will definitely have you on throughout the entire season as always you guys can find matt on twitter at by Matt Wyrick, and make sure you head on over to NBC Sports Washington to check out all of Matt's latest works and keep up with all news DC sports. Matt, thank you so much, man. Have a great rest of your week. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Later, Matt. Always. Once again, thank you so much to Matt for joining us. It's always a pleasure having him on, and we look forward to having on in March. Once again, you guys can find him on Twitter at by Matt Wyrick and make sure you head on over to NBCSportsWashington.com to keep up with all of his latest work. And Heater's support for that interview you just listened to and this show is brought to you by Manscaped. You know them. They're the best in the men's below the waist grooming and now they just released their new clone scent to help you feel good, smell good, all over at all times. Just like the Nats still have holes on their roster, you guys might have holes in your, your grooming game as well, specifically in the scent department. The refined cologne from Manscaped, it's calming, it's inviting. The signature scent introduces a light citrus burst before settling into the anchoring notes of Vetveer and woodsy masculine finish. You can complete your game just like the Nats should complete theirs. But, you know, we've talked about that ad nauseum, as Amanda likes to say. Mm -hmm. Go to manscaped.com, use promo code HSHH20, grab the cologne, 
grab your replacement blades if you need them for your lawnmower 3.0 or grab the lawnmower 3.0 if you haven't already. Promo code HSHH20 gets you 20% off and free shipping off your entire order. All of it. The whole shebang. All of it. Do it now. You won't regret it. I promise you. I wear my cologne every day, and I don't even leave the house. I just like smelling good. You guys can do the same. Be like me. Go do Manscaped right now. Good advice. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So um, we have one more segment to do tonight, which is Twitter questions. We haven't done this one in a while, actually, so I'm excited. We've got three for you guys tonight. Let's see. We've got from at XEA76 says, who's the best pitcher in the league, and why did it take so long to, stay, to say Steven Strasburg, which has a PH? Come on, people. You should know how to spell Steven Strasburg. So put some respect on that man's name. <laughs> As they said, um, are we are we going to full blown stand Steven Strasburg and just push a narrative that he's the best pitcher in the game? I mean, no, I'm not. I love <laughs> but, Steven Strasburg. I I do. He's a, you know he's just, our World Series MVP, but, but same, best pitcher of the league. No, Jacob right. Degrom does exist, but yes. at the same time, <laughs> if anyone can do it, Natchak can. <laughs> yeah, maybe so. But I, as soon as I read this question, I thought, did Jacob Degrom die? Like. <laughs> All I'm and saying even if is, he did, it still wouldn't be Steven Strasburg. I love the guy, but no. Say the word, and I will start it. Say the word, and I will push the narrative that he's the best pitcher in the league. Just say it. That's all you got to do. All right, all right. Let me get into my uh, Chancellor Palpatine voice. <clears throat> do it. That was well done, Nick. Thank you. Very believable. And I thought for a minute. Senate. <laughs> <laughs> I thought for a minute he was really here. <laughs> Henceforth, you shall be known as. Can Darth I get it? Vader. You don't know the power of the dark side. Can I? <laughs> I'm well, sorry, Amanda. I, I, I don't know I what am. you're saying if you're not doing the voice. <laughs> yeah, come on. No, I was asking you to do it. I don't. I don't have the invitation voice. Well, you know, that sounds like a personal problem. Execute order sixty six. On it. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you heard it here first, people. The revolution we don't has think begun. Steven Strasburg's the best pitcher in the league, but we're going to push that narrative anyway. My mom told me to print flyers. Pamphlets. Fudge. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. At B Mayfield says, I didn't know Baker was the listener of the show. Um, who is the league MVP and why is it Trey? Are we just having the same question about all of our Oh, we're players? we're pushing the Trey's the MVP narrative too. It's it's Trey's one, MVP baby. narrative. Two for one. Execute order 132, order 66 times two. I did that math that quick. Trey is MVP. Okay. All right. We'll do it, I suppose. Um, I'm going to go with no on that, but we're just we're just rolling with the punches here. Well, watch. Look at Amanda being the anti-Homer. It's not that I'm. Yeah, I guess it is an anti-Homer, but I'm just. What's the you know, opposite of a Homer? A strikeout? I don't know. A walk? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but a Homer walk. in this case isn't a baseball Homer. It's. Just but we're else. we're making it a baseball Homer because we are a baseball podcast. Come on, man. I think Keep a strikeout has to be the opposite, then, right? Strikeout. Okay, so you're a strikeout. <laughs> yeah, or I'm. Doing doing the strikeout thing on the Nats player. I love Trey Turner. Literally a pitcher hitting right now. Love Trey Turner, but no, (laughs) no, he's not the league MVP. All right, we got one more. At truk two one one two says, "What can John Lester do to win over DC Nats?" I don't know if there's anything, but Ryan, is there anything John Lester could do to escape your unreasonable hatred? Well, everything I do is reasonable. I just need that (laughs) out there. (laughs) 
<laughs> um, second of all, if if my hatred feels them to be good, that means I turn it up even more. I am a revolutionary, okay? I am hating John Lester this year. I have announced it, right? It, it, it did fantastic. It did great numbers on social media. I am starting a movement. I am starting a revolution. I am anti-John Lester. If he puts up a Cy Young year, that means I turn up my hate to Cy Young levels. Do you see how this works? If he sucks. <laughs> so is this one of you can't prove a negative because no matter what happens, you're going to take credit for it? Exactly. Because <laughs> I am a revolutionary, okay? Is they that what said, that means? Okay. They said I was a madman when I was fighting with Clint Robinson's mom on Facebook. They said I was a madman when wow. I started Adam. E- yeah, TV. That was OG it didn't days. work on Clint Robinson. That was Your OG hatred days. did not make him better. It did not. But Clint Robinson <laughs> talked about me in an article in the Washington Post. About he was Twitter fine-tuning haters. his craft. Now he's ready for Trey <laughs> Turner. True. And John Lester he made it to the show. Exactly. <laughs> I, I started with Michael Taylor and I saw the strength of my powers with Adam Eaton and John Lester. You're next. Yeah. I am now ready you know for the, the power of the dark side. The revolution has begun. Previous conversation. <laughs> I, I'll just chime in in saying there hasn't been a, one successful revolution that has ended in a peace treaty. Not one. Name one. You can't. Exactly. Hmm. Interesting theory. I mean, it's a fact you couldn't name one, so the revolution revolution lives on. Well, I mean, the American Revolution ended with a peace treaty. Uh, After the British lost. Exactly. That's what a peace treaty is. One side loses. Nobody signs a peace treaty while they're winning. Yeah, with my fists, Des and Troy, together they're destroy. Are those your best names, Des and Troy? Yeah. Oh. See it together, they're destroy. Oh, I see yeah, what you did there. I kick Britain's ass. Okay. All right. I feel like this conversation went a little bit off the rails, but cool. No. <laughs> that that's the beauty of the revolution. Shaq steers it in whatever direction he wants to, baby. <laughs> All right. Well, can't argue with that logic. Wait out anything else before we get out of here? Uh um, no. I, I am good. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. All right. Well, that was a meandering episode. Thank you guys for joining us as always. We really appreciate it. Make sure to check us out at Half Street High Heat on Twitter at halfstreethighheat.com. By the way, make sure you're checking out the website every day. There's new content in the blog every day. Um, There's a lot of good stuff out there, especially now that spring training has started. There's going to be player profiles. There's going to be updates from spring training is going to be awesome and there will be according to nick some very good uh youtube content coming soon so we all have that to look forward to you guys have a good night we will talk again monday tuesday well you'll hear us tuesday we'll talk monday (laughs) later later there's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents The Nationals are smashing balls all at the commentator Who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later Let's go Nats We've got a game to play We're gonna win today Let's go See
By the early light of dawn, well, you can see they're running scared. Cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are bursting in the air. Tell the Library of Congress that they might not wanna look. Cause we're putting curly W's in every book. Let's go, Nats. We've got a game to play. We're gonna win today. Let's go. Did you know that most vitamin D3 supplements come from sheep's wool? I'm Kat, founder of Ritual. We're making traceability the new standard for the supplement industry. When I was pregnant, I couldn't find a multivitamin I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested, and clean label project certified. Oh, and our vitamin D3? It comes from sustainably harvested lichen from England, not sheep. Trace for yourself with 25% off at ritual.com slash podcast. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.